Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again. Twenty twenty has reminded us that America the beautiful isn't all beautiful. From sea to shining sea, America has lost its moral compass today. On D Day, June sixth, nineteen forty four, the Allied death toll was four thousand four hundred and fourteen. But in twenty nineteen, domestic gun violence had killed that many Americans by the end of April. In the words of Dr. Shervet Frazier, America is a co-violent society. It celebrates mayhem while simultaneously condemning it. And the media has been planting these seeds of decay everywhere. Think about it. Kids watch murders on TV with their parents and then they get told to be kind at school and that killing is wrong. In fact, the average 18-year-old has witnessed 200,000 violent acts on TV and in movies, including 40,000 murders. The next generation has lost its moral compass. According to Barna research, 80% of Americans today are deeply concerned about the moral condition of their country and the future of it. A poll taken in 1960 showed that 72% of Americans believed their government would do the right thing always or almost always. At the end of 2018, the percentage of that, that statistic had plunged to just 19%. I want to tell you, a nation is in trouble when popularity is more important than purity, when the dollar is more important than decency, when entertainment is more important than ethics, a nation is in trouble, when its legislators busy themselves with laws to allow people of different orientations to use the same bathroom while forbidding students to pray to God in school, when you can go to jail for destroying the eggs of the bald eagle while open abortion is legalized, a nation is in trouble. In 1778, Samuel Adams, one of the founding fathers, he wrote, religion and good morals are the only solid foundations of public liberty and happiness. And today these foundations are anything but solid. As Franklin would say in 1787, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. And John Adams, the second U.S. president, he would agree because he said the principles of democracy are as easily destroyed as human nature is corrupted. America's moral fabric is falling apart, but so is ours. The whole world. Galatians 6 verse 7, the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. Every day, by the choices you and I are making, we are sowing seed and the fruit of our lives is the result of the seeds that we have sown. We cannot sow seeds of evil and reap righteousness. We cannot sow seeds of immorality and reap purity. We cannot sow seeds of self-indulgence and reap health. You can't sow seeds of error and reap the blessings of truth. You cannot ignore God's law without experiencing the consequences of that choice because we reap 
what we sow. If you sow a thought, you reap an act. And if you sow an act, you reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, well, you reap character. And by character, the Bible tells us our eternal destiny is determined. At the end of time, the choices you and I make matter a lot. In fact, come with me to Revelation chapter 14. And in verse 14, the Bible says this, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. John says, then I looked. I like that because John looks away from this world, from its chaos, from its heartache, and he sees a white cloud and the Son of Man. 30 times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is called the Son of Man. So John sees Jesus. He sees him who ascended on a cloud into heaven in the book of Acts, descend on a cloud, wearing not a crown of thorns, but the Bible says he comes wearing a crown of glory. And notice he comes to reap a harvest. I continue reading in verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Jesus. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. I don't want you to miss this because Jesus is coming again. That's the message of the Bible. And he is coming to reap a harvest from the earth. On his last trip to Jerusalem, before his crucifixion, the Bible says some Greeks came looking for Jesus because they wanted to invite him to come to their country so that he could share there. And when the disciples told Jesus about it, his heart thrilled. You know why? Because Jesus knew that these men represented people from all ages, from all lands, who would one day come to him through the sacrifice of himself. And this is why Jesus said these words in John 12, verse 24. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Like a grain of wheat, Jesus would die and he would be buried, but he would also be resurrected and sprout forth, as it were, to new life on the third day. And like a grain of wheat, Jesus anticipated that his death would result in a harvest of people that he could save for all eternity. And Revelation 14, it pictures this magnificent harvest. But there are two harvests when Jesus comes, because if we keep reading, the Bible says this in verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple. This is Revelation 14, verse 17. Came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and drew threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, this is all very symbolic. There are two harvests of people at the end of time. Both harvests are ripe, but not both 
are good. The good grain is harvested from the earth, but the harvested grapes are thrown into a wine press where they are crushed. Friends, Revelation 14's urgent message is that every seed, every choice will be harvested. There's going to be a ripening of hate and evil and wickedness in this world before the end of time. As those who reject God by their choice come to reflect the image of their chosen master. And we will also see at the end of time a wonderful manifestation of the love purity, integrity, and compassion of Jesus reflected in the lives of his followers that has not been seen since the early church began. And I just to remind you of how amazing these two harvests will be as they develop. There is a very epic situation at the end of time. Let me remind you, if the Bible ended in Revelation chapter 13, it would be the worst ending ever because this is what it says. Revelation 13, verse 15. We've been here several times in our series. The Bible says he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? To be killed. This in Revelation 13, it is Satan's final, most successful effort to try and control the whole world. It's his dangerous attempt, if you will, at ripening a harvest for himself. And friends, whenever governments make laws on how people worship, they are actually attempting to remove your ability to be saved. You say, Sharissa, what do you mean? Friends, religious liberty means that we can choose to be saved. That's why I think the U.S. Bill of Rights is so great. We do not give to God through Caesar. We give to God and we respond to him through faith. But Satan is going to make worship of God, that response of faith. He's going to make it a crime worthy of death at the end of time. But praise God, the Bible doesn't end with Revelation 13, because as our world descends into chaos, And as the tyranny of the old world is going to be revived again with the forming of an image to the beast in America, the Bible says that God is going to come through. He loves us too much to leave us to lies. There is a harvest time coming and God wants to empower you and to empower me to make the right choices as we head towards the end and the climax of human history. The book of Revelation helps us to make those right choices in our lives. In fact, Revelation chapter 14 contains three messages from the heart of God that help us to know what we should do, that help us respond to him in light of the attacks of Satan. These messages, if you will, they are preparing a people for the coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 14, verse six says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Since the harvest is going to involve the world, God addresses this message to the world. And the angel's swift flight, don't miss it. He's not sitting on a rocking chair. His swift flight tells us that this message is carried with urgency. And by the way, the word angel in the Greek means messenger. 
And in the New Testament, often human beings are called angels because they were sent by God to deliver a message. So what the Bible is saying here is these messages are going to be proclaimed by people who love God all over the world. I read on. The Bible says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. The word for loud in this verse, it's the word megaphone, from which we get the word megaphone. There is no holding back in the giving of this message. In chapter 13, remember the beast has been saying, fear, glorify and worship me. But the angel says with a loud voice so all can hear it, fear God, give glory to him and worship him who made because God alone is worthy. This is God's truth going to the world. Verse eight continues. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This message is not proclaimed with a loud voice and we'll soon see why. But this Speaking of Babylon, representing a global system that is against God's truth, against his people, spiritual Babylon at the end of time, God says, has made the entire world drunk with her teachings. Babylon is fallen because she has rejected the first angel's message. The second angel's message therefore exposes Satan's lies which have spread around the world. And verse nine continues. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. At the end of time, you need to know that worshiping the beast and his image has consequences. And so God is appealing to the world to wake up to the danger that is around them and to make a right choice for him. You see, beast and image worship, it means breaking God's law and receiving the mark of the beast, either on your right hand by what you do or on your forehead by what you believe. Satan doesn't care where we receive that mark as long as we get it, because he knows that the only way he can try to exalt himself above God is through attempting to change God's law. Obedience to a changed law honors the one who changed it. So at the end of time, we can see real clear that obedience is a sign. It is a mark of allegiance And I want you to know there is good news because God is going to have a people in this world who pledge their allegiance to him. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 reads, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Not everyone's gonna worship the beast and his image. Keeping God's law is going to be a distinguishing difference, the distinguishing difference between the worshipers of God and beast worshipers. In ancient Israel, the yearly harvests relied on two 
rainy seasons. The early rain, which fell in the autumn, watered the seed and helped them to germinate. And then the latter rain would fall in the spring and it would ripen the grain ready for harvest. In the book of Joel, the prophet says this in Joel chapter 22, verses 23. And then I want to skip on down and read verses 28 and 29. It says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. The King James says moderately. And it continues, And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You know, centuries later, after Joel wrote these words, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he quoted these words and declared that Joel's prophetic words were being fulfilled. Because you see, Jesus' death had had a huge impact on the disciples. Before the cross, they were always fighting over who would be the greatest. But after the cross, they humbly knelt together in prayer, acknowledging that there was no one greater than God. The cross radically changed their lives. And after the cross, we see them together in the book of Acts. They gathered together in an upper room. They were repenting of their sins, committing their lives to sharing God's love. And the Bible says that God fills them with the Holy Spirit. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the early rain that was softening the ground for the sowing of gospel seed. And if you've never read the book of Acts, I encourage you, go Google it, find a Bible, read it, because it's exciting. 3,000 people were baptized in a single day in chapter 3. The next chapter, we find 5,000 more are added to their company. This was the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as, as the message is preached and as the Holy Spirit was working on people's hearts. In fact, there are so many miracles and exciting stories in the book. I want to share just one. An angel told a man named Philip to chase down a chariot, and he did. When he did, he caught up to the chariot and found that there was an Ethiopian eunuch reading the scroll of Isaiah. Philip pointed him to Jesus. The man said, I want to be baptized. And after he baptized him, the Bible says that the Spirit of God teleported Philip to Azotus. I mean, it's just amazing. It's a book of miracles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And by the end of the book, the Christian community has swelled. It is so large. And it all started with just 120 people praying for God to use them. You know, there've been 2000 years of sowing the gospel seed as it has gone on television and missionaries and, and through literature around the world. And the Bible predicts that, guess what? A greater rain will come just as the latter rain comes in ancient Israel to ripen the crops. God's work is not going to flicker like a candle and go out. No, remember, God gave the former rain moderately. There will be another Pentecost coming and it's going to have 10 times the power of that first Pentecost. And just as there are two harvests, at the end of time, it's very clear there are going to be two revivals also. 
Satan's going to attempt to counterfeit. When Revelation 13 talks about fire coming down from God out of heaven, it's talking about a counterfeit revival, which you're going to see happen in this world. And in America, the people are going to call for a union of church and state power that will end up oppressing God's people. But even now, Satan is seeking to condition the minds of millions to receive this counterfeit religious experience. So how are we going to be able to tell the difference? I want to encourage you to go to the book of Matthew, read it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where God says that his people are those who do his his will. The true baptism of the Holy Spirit is an immersion in the presence of God where the glory of God fills your heart and it changes your life. Unless you and I are saturating our hearts and minds with God's word right now, we'll be swept off our feet with Satan's false revival at the end of time because people are going to be more interested in feeling good than doing good and doing his will. There have been many revivals in history, American history included. In fact, if I share with you some stories, there was a revival in the British American colonies called the Great Awakening happened between 1720 and 1770. And people became, at the time, they were so comfortable with their religious freedom that they had found in the new world that they stopped relying on God. But a young Dutch minister named Theodore, I'm not even going to attempt his last name, he left, from America, he left for America in 1719 when he heard that there were four frontier Dutch congregations that needed a pastor. When he arrived, He started to preach passionately that religious performance without true conversion of heart was an abomination to God. And not many people liked him for this, but the young and the poor loved him. Young people gave their lives to God. And this began spreading a fire of revival, of religious awakening. George Whitfield, an English evangelist, he traveled seven times from England to America to preach to the colonies between 1738 and 1770. History tells us massive crowds of up to 30,000 gathered in open fields to hear him preach. And Whitfield would spend hours, sometimes entire nights in prayer before these meetings. This, this, the preaching of Whitfield so impacted society that Benjamin Franklin, One of the founding fathers, he wrote of this experience. He was so fascinated. He said, you could walk through the town at night and hear psalms sung in homes on every street. It was a revival. And some people even think that this revival inspired the American Revolution because it brought the colonies together under the banner of Christ. And their motto in the Revolutionary War was no king, but King Jesus. A second revival came in the 1800s in New England as circuit riding preachers began to hold camp meetings in large tents and thousands of people would come. Presbyterian minister named Charles Finney and his friend Daniel Nash, they went together to share the gospel at these meetings. And while Finney would preach, Nash would be behind and he would pray and thousands committed themselves to Christ. In fact, at this very time, a Baptist farmer turned preacher named William Miller, he preached on the imminent return of Christ and thousands, tens of thousands joined what became known as the Millerite movement. And from this revival, the temperance movement and the anti-slavery movement, even the Underground Railroad began as well. These are great revivals in history, but guess what? They are small. When we think of what is coming, the revival, the global revival that is not far away, because we're going to see 
New Testament Christianity come alive again. As this world grows darker, God's truth is going to shine brighter. And Revelation 18 verse 1 says this, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. There is a fourth angel that comes, and he comes and he adds to the three angels with a loud voice. And what, was, what is God doing here? Friends, to meet the challenge of earth's final hour, God promises to pour out an abundance of his spirit in latter rain power. This earth will be lit up with the glory of God and of his true character. The gospel is going to spread like a wildfire around the world. And the three angels' messages, they are going to stir the hearts of millions to make a decision to follow Jesus. Thousands are going to share God's truth with their neighbors and find thousands of hearts ready to receive it, just like in the book of Acts. In fact, verse 4 of Revelation 18 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. This is God speaking. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Babylon is greater than most of us believe and is more deceptive than we can imagine. But God says, I have my people in Babylon. His call for them to evacuate is an invitation for them not to follow the crowd, but to follow Jesus, no turning back. Friends, the latter reign of the Holy Spirit, accompanying God's last call, it's going to mature and ripen a harvest for the coming of Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit prompts and empowers us to make right choices. But God does not make those choices for us. They're ours to make. The story is told of a farmer who surveyed Washington's camp during the Revolutionary War. And as he was watching, he heard the sound of a man in earnest prayer. He drew nearer to where the voice was coming from and discovered to his surprise it was General Washington on his knees, his cheeks wet with tears, and he was praying to God. Moved by this scene, this farmer rushed home and told his wife, George Washington will succeed. George Washington will succeed. The Americans will secure their independence. And she said, what makes you think so? And he said, I heard him pray in the woods today and the Lord will surely hear his prayer. Friends, knowing God makes all the difference. Do you know him personally? America is ripe for revival again. And so is the rest of our world. Revivals of history have all had one thing in common a movement of prayer born from a recognition of our desperate need for God. With a tanking economy and natural disasters and moral meltdown of society, could COVID-19 be the catalyst for prophecies predicted great final awakening? God's about to ripen and harvest and reap it. You know, as I've been studying this series, my heart has been stirring with a sense of patriotism for, patriotism for a country I'm not even a part of. As I have studied the history of the United States, I used to listen to the American anthem and think, why is it talking about bombs bursting in air? I always thought that was weird. But now that I understand the history of the song, I've listened to the anthem just recently and found myself fighting back tears. And I said to myself, Sharissa, get a grip. You're Australian, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. But that's when it hit me. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, these are the desires of every heart. And today God wants you to know that there is a better world coming where these liberties will never die. His government is good, a country whose king is the king of kings. I'm homesick for that country 
How about you? The kingdoms of this world are temporary, which is why Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Is yours? If your allegiance is to Jesus, he has promised to safely conduct us from this old world to a new world where there will be no tyranny, no more pain and no more death. Heaven will be the true land of the free and home of the brave. Today, God invites you to be a citizen of his kingdom. Will you accept his invitation? You can right now. There's a number on your screen. I invite you to call us or text us and let us know your decision. It's the best kingdom to be a part of. For a video of this series, visit our website at theend.digital or find us on social media.